Welcome to T.O. Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Michael Davis, and I'm thrilled to be your host. I've spent my career working to help people build a durable retirement. It's such an honor to do this work and an even greater privilege to be with the retirement experts we have with us here today. These professionals can help you feel more confident about your own retirement, whether you're planning for retirement or already there. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of T.R. Price's retirement research that focuses on how competing financial priorities can be a real confidence killer when it comes to planning for retirement. My guests today have some interesting insights about how our attitudes about retirement change, and more importantly, what things we can do today to help build our confidence for the future. I'm here with T.R. Price experts Joshua Deitch and Rachel Wecker. They're frequent speakers on retirement topics. Welcome to the show, Josh and Rachel. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Michael. Great to have you here. So, Josh, I'm going to start with you. How do people typically gauge or measure how they are doing financially so they know if they're on the right track? It's a great question, and it's probably a really good place to start. What I would say is that there are a number of measures that are available, but typically they treat it as a math problem. They look at things like, what's your age? how much you have saved, how much you're saving currently, and what's your asset allocation. And then it spits out a score that says, okay, you're on track or you're not on track. But we know that it's not solely a math problem, and it probably leaves half of what you really should be measuring on the table, unmeasured. Hmm. So if it's not a math problem, what do you think it is? Well, ultimately, it's a behavior issue. For example, you think about what you do on a daily basis. You get a paycheck. How do you spend that paycheck? Do you pay all your bills? Do you save money at the end of the month? Do you have credit card debt? Do you pay that off every month? So those are the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. There's another aspect like, well, Someday I'm going to retire. What kind of progress am I making towards that goal? Or maybe I'm just starting a family and I'm saving up to buy a house or put a kid through education. And then lastly, there's always the future. So how does what I do today impact my future? You know, one of the things that I like to think about, about retirement in general, we have this old saying, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. In contrast, saving for retirement is measured on an absolute basis. So what my friend, my neighbor is doing is largely irrelevant. I'm running against myself, not the bear. Based on the research that we've done, we see that those that have the ability to balance what they do today versus what they want to achieve in the future, they're the ones that are you know, the, most, are, you know, the most financially well. And in our research, we actually measured it. And what we found that was really interesting, it wasn't the people that made the most money that were necessarily the most financially well. It was the people that had the ability to save because saving in of itself is indicative of one's ability to sort of balance the here and now and focus on the future. So when we think about measuring for confidence about retirement, that's really what we focus on. That's really, really thoughtful. So, Josh, why do you think pre-retirees lack confidence or maybe feel unsure about retirement, even if they seem to have a lot of financial health? It's a really good question. You know, let's face it, any kind of transition in life can be really stressful. And transitioning 
to retirement from working can be particularly stressful. And one of the things that we see in our research is that people's confidence actually declines as they get closer to retirement. And what's really interesting about it is their actual financial capabilities seem to improve over time. So what we sort of take away from that is that people have spent a lifetime in saving mode and developing healthy financial habits, but the uncertainty of having to shift gears into thinking about spending, frankly, it can be a little scary. And what we also see is that once people make that transition, confidence numbers tend to tick back up. People tend to be a little bit more resilient and adaptable than what we usually give them credit for. Because not only do their confidence numbers tick up, but their level of satisfaction ticks up as well. And what we infer from that is that people's expectations reset. Because at the end of the day, while you can deficit spend while you're saving, you can't deficit spend when you're in retirement. You can only spend what you have. Really thoughtful insights. Rachel, anything to offer on that question? Yeah, totally agree with everything that Josh has said. The only thing that I would add there, I think it's very reasonable to understand why there is that stress around shifting into decumulation mode. There's so many uncertainties about retirement. You don't know how long it's going to last, and you don't know how expensive it's going to be when it comes to things you can't control like healthcare. So understanding that the need to, to think through some heavy items and figure out some resources to help you plan that transition can often make people feel much more confident about it too. I'm reminded of known unknowns. <laughs> right. Yes, it's the unknown unknowns that are really difficult. <laughs> Famous phrase. So Josh, you said earlier that there's sort of this connection between what people do today and the impact it's going to have on their retirements in the future. How can people better make that connection between their actions today and how it's going to pay off tomorrow? And do you think that people tend to underestimate how their behaviors really make that difference? I'll start with you, Josh, and then go to Rachel. Sure. As luck would have it, a couple of weeks ago, Rachel and I had the opportunity to observe some focus groups. And these focus groups were among people saving for retirement, and they were of relatively modest means. And, you know, despite all that, there was near universal acknowledgement that what they do today impacts their future. Now, there are challenges that they face, but they could see that connection. I think the key to making better connections between the two and building and maintaining confidence lies in what support we get along the way. For example, do you use any of the tools that help confirm you're doing the right things or offer suggestions that things that you could be doing better? Does your employer offer any resources to help you manage your finances, to help you set and measure progress towards your goals? And for some, confidence stems from simply knowing that you're doing the right things. But for many of us, we sometimes need not just confirmation, but affirmation. And whether that comes from a financial professional or a tool or a webinar, it really doesn't matter. It's just the affirmation that these are the steps I'm taking and they're the right steps. 
How about you, Rachel? Any thoughts on that question? Yeah. I think people do understand the connection. They know what they should be doing, and no one feels good when they have to tap into retirement savings to pay down a credit card bill or meet the day-to-day expenses. But the reality is it's really hard to balance those needs, and there might not be an appreciation of just how much of a difference today's actions are going to have on the future. So you often hear people say, wow, I'm surprised at how much my savings built up. I was just putting away $10 a month. The converse of that is true, and we might not realize how much of an outsized impact down the road is going to have by taking those withdrawals. One of the things that I think is interesting, and again, this is just from observing, is people want to get from A to B, but sometimes they just don't know where to begin. And sometimes it's as simple as finding out what those incremental steps are because you can't just bite it off in one big bite. Related to that, I think another thing that exacerbates this situation is that we do discount the value of our future selves relative to our present selves. So if we need or want that thing today, that's probably what we're going to do, even if it means sacrificing some part of our future success. Josh, do people tend to save more the closer they get to retirement? The simple answer is yes, we work for Tiro Price. We have a large record-keeping business. And so we see the behavior of millions of people saving for retirement. And what we generally see is that as people get older, they start to save more. And the two primary reasons for that are actually quite simple. It's over time, you tend to earn more money. And as retirement gets closer, you tend to think, well, maybe I got to step on the gas a little bit. But what we generally see is for every decade, we see savings rate increase by about 1%. So if you think about it this way, somebody in their 20s, the average might be they're saving 6%. By the time they're into their 60s, it's closer to 10%. There are reasons for that. As I said, there's age and income, but also as you transition through different stages in your lives, your financial obligations also change. When you're starting out in life, you might have more things that you're dealing with. You might have debt from college. You might have rent that you have to make, and your income isn't as high. And hopefully by the time you're in your 60s, your kids are out of the house, or at least that's my wish, and you have some extra money that you can put towards retirement. One of the things that we say is that you should be saving 15% of your wages for retirement. And that doesn't have to be all you. Your employer may have matching contributions, but you want to get to about 15%. I think what's really important is that we not be obsessed with that number or find shame if we're not reaching that number. While it's difficult, you can always save more in the future. But to the extent that you can start early and start as high as you can reasonably afford, you'll be better served in the long run. Well said. So, Rachel, a lot of people say they can't save more because they're doing everything they can today. Is that really true from what you've seen? I definitely believe that people feel like they can't save anymore. We know that people are balancing so many different priorities, as Josh just alluded to. But we do know that when programs are put in place that makes it really easy or easier for people to save, participation rates in those retirement plans jump. So when people had to opt out of the plan as opposed to opting in, they were very likely to stay and stay at whatever savings rates their employers put them in at. And I think that 
that's the good news is that when we can create mechanisms that make it as easy as possible for people to sort of be put on that right path, people tend to stay there. And we're starting to see some really encouraging news with really innovative programs as some employers are looking for ways to help their employees pay down student debt or build up emergency savings plans. And what we're anecdotally hearing, these programs are still very new at this point, is that as employees are encouraged to do that, at the same time as saving for retirement, you're not seeing those savings rate and retirement plans cannibalize. So I think that the design of solutions or retirement plan designs can go a long way to helping people when they just don't think they can do anymore. I think one of the things that Rachel's really touching on is a lot of the barriers we have to success are simply our own behaviors. And the role that technology now plays in our lives we can use it to our advantage to break down those barriers because, again, it's very easy to say if it's through your employer, I want to save $20 a pay period for emergency savings. Or if it's not with your employer, I'm pretty sure your bank will allow you to do the same thing. And once you automate it, that money's gone. You don't see it, so you don't spend it. And so that's just one way that technology helps us break down unhealthy behaviors, or even if they're not unhealthy, adopt better behaviors. Right. And I think the really great news for us is there's almost an explosion of new solutions coming online to help us with that. We have been much more likely to adopt digital payment mechanisms, which makes it easier for us to adopt some of these new technologies. So, Josh, how much do competing priorities affect people's attitudes towards retirement? Well, I'll answer the question with my focus group of one. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a way to think about this is that our lives are made up of stages. And if we want to think about it in work terms, there's early career, there's mid-career, and then there's late career. And hopefully that comes as late as one wants it to be. And you can think about it in other ways, too, but stay with me here. Early in my career, I'm really focused on finding a career. Like, I don't know what I want to do. My economic situation's a little uncertain. And I just want to make sure that I have a roof over my head and a few dollars set aside. And frankly, retirement is just way on the horizon. And while I'm saving a little bit for it, frankly, it's out of sight, out of mind. And then one day I wake up and I'm 30. I'm getting married and wouldn't be nice to have a little bit more space. And my apartment's a little cramped. And my wife and I, now we want to have kids. All of a sudden, I have to start thinking about having money for a down payment on a house. And because I got little kids, I got to think about, well, in 18 years, they're going to go to college. And geez, that's going to cost a lot of money. Maybe I better start saving today. And still, retirement is in the future. And I don't want to forget that, but it's not my primary concern. And then I woke up today, and I'm 50, 50 plus, and even if I don't feel like it, retirement's a lot closer. And thankfully, I saved money all along to not only put my kids through college, but also towards retirement. And now that I can see some of those other goals like I had for purchasing a home or paying for education, because those are taken care of, I can save more for retirement. The point of my story about my focus group of one is that our needs change as we grow older. But the one constant throughout 
is retirement, and we should never lose focus of that. I'm fond of saying that retirement's a race that is best run slow and steady. How about you, Rachel? I think it would be a mistake to assume that only young people worry about day-to-day expenses and debt and only older folks worry about retirement. But the reality is when people are younger, just as Josh just mentioned, they have more time to retirement and other priorities take precedence. And I was looking at some of the data, and if you look at loan or withdrawal behavior out of the retirement plan, you see that across all of the age spectrums. What you do notice in the 40s is that people at the same time as taking that loan are more likely to also reduce their savings rate. And I think that's really reflective of the number of things that people are trying to juggle, especially at that middle career phase. And I just think it highlights the importance to make sure you don't lose sight of retirement, but at the same time time are able to manage the reality of lots of different stresses on your paycheck. Really thoughtful insights. So let's talk about people who are well-off financially, well-off, quote-unquote, because it means different things in different parts of the country, but just for the sake of argument. People who are well-off, do they have the same concerns as people who are living maybe paycheck to paycheck? And just any thoughts you have on that? Start with you, Josh. Look, everyone has financial concerns. Personally speaking, I still remember the days when I was living paycheck to paycheck, and my concerns were a bit different than they are today. However, I don't think you need to be wealthy to be financially well. Whether I make $50,000 or $200,000, I still need to live within my means. And that means handling my day-to-day expenses, setting goals, measuring progress, and making progress towards them, and building confidence for the retirement that I want to live and taking the steps to get there. Every year we do research with those saving for and, and those in retirement. And when we look at what's most highly correlated with being financially well, it's retirement savings. It isn't income. Because savings in some form is a hard recognition or a testament to one's ability to balance today's needs with tomorrow's needs. And sure, for some, it's undoubtedly harder than for others, but it's something that we all must confront and manage. And so in that manner, it's a great equalizer because whether you make a little money or a lot of money, we're all going to retire at some point or be physically unable to work. And that's something that we all have to plan for. Well said. Rachel, any thoughts on that question? I would just add that people across the financial spectrum really do seem to share similar goals, managing debt, you know, wanting to provide for their kids, housing, maybe saving for a vacation. But the degree of stress for those without a safety net such that they can absorb a financial shock. We just can't underestimate the impact of that stress. And I think that's why you're seeing so many employers now offering programs to help their employees. And it's because this financial fragility translates into higher healthcare costs, less productivity, and quite frankly, less happy employees. I'm usually the glasses half empty guy. In 2020 specifically, People had the opportunity to access their retirement accounts in ways they previously didn't under the CARES Act. If they had a financial hardship, they could take money from their retirement accounts. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is that for many, it was their sole source of liquid savings. And although it's really painful to watch people take from a long-term financial goal to pay for something current, one of the things that we 
observed was that people, even when they were taking money from their savings, they were continuing to save. And in many cases, they were actually increasing their savings rate. So they knew that they were making a difficult decision, but they were interested in mitigating it in the best and only way they knew how, which was to continue saving and hopefully save more. Thoughtful. So, Josh, what things do you think pre-retirees worry about the most? Pre-retirees worry about the things that you would expect. Will I be able to maintain my standard of living in retirement? Do I have enough to pay for health care? That's a big number that's often thrown out there. What if I have some sort of medical emergency and I have a large bill or my house needs a new furnace? They worry about these things because they're still working and, frankly, they're unknown. Further, when you're working, you get a paycheck whether it's every week, every other week, or or once a month. And they know that tomorrow they won't have a paycheck. I hate to oversimplify this, but let's face it, the unknown is scary. But let me go back to something we touched on earlier. When you asked me about how one measures financial wellness, there's really three things that we look to measure. One is your household financial behaviors. The other is progress made towards financial goals, and then lastly, confidence in one's future retirement. These categories or ways of thinking about they're not abstractions. What we did in our research is we measured them, and what we saw, as I mentioned earlier, is that financial capability in the form of household financial behaviors or or progress made towards goals, that actually improved with time, but confidence declined. And what I take away from that is as retirement gets nearer, the anxiety increases. And despite people actually being many times well-prepared, and they should be giving themselves more credit than they often do, saving habits are really hard to break. And going from saving to spending is really difficult. And when people do make that transition, What we often see is that their mindset also shifts ever so slightly because they spend what they have. That's really their only choice. And so then once retired, their attitudes do change, it sounds like. That's kind of the punchline to our story. What we find is that the people that are concerned about the things that we just discussed, they're all related to our standard of living. And as you get into retirement, people's attitudes towards those concerns actually change. One of the things we do with our research is we ask people, you know, how's your retirement turned out? For 8 and 10, 80%, it's turned out about what they expected or better. And so a lot of times that anxiety is misplaced. But there's another dimension to our story too. People adjust the realities that they face. If you go to a financial professional and, and I did this myself in the past year. They're going to ask you a lot of questions to understand how you spend your money. And then they'll help you figure out, okay, this is how much income you need to support the way you live your life. If you've saved sufficiently, your concerns are going to be fewer because those unknowns are going to go to knowns. But even if you are of more modest means, what you'll find is that people adapt. And I think the adapt piece, the really great news there is not only do they adapt, but their satisfaction levels don't go down. Often we talk about a retirement savings crisis. 
And yes, there is a gap between what people have and what they'll need. But I can assure you there are researchers looking for millions of miserable retirees, and they're extremely frustrated that they can't find them. So what it tells us is that the behavior changes in retirement, and people are incredibly resilient and adaptable and find satisfaction in what they have. So, Rachel, is there some kind of framework that people can use to think about their finances and really set them on the road for retirement success? We have a savings hierarchy, and it informs all of the education we provide and the tools that we make available. And it's pretty straightforward. It needs to start with an emergency savings account. So you have that safety net that we've talked about. And if people can do that while at the same time as managing their day-to-day expenses and get started saving for retirement, we think that they should do that because it's so important to get started for longer-term goals as early as you can. But if that's just not possible, we tell people to get that emergency savings started as soon as possible really attack those bills to get them to a manageable level, and then start working on retirement savings. And once you've got that on a good path, then start to focus on your other goals. So, Rachel, any context you can provide for listeners on how much emergency savings they should have? So we break that into two pieces. Psychologically, building up a decent chunk of money can be intimidating. So we will suggest that people get that ball rolling and work towards maybe a more modest sum to get started. But ultimately, we would say that just as other experts in the field would say, three to six months is a really important sum to target. And if we've learned anything over the pandemic is the importance of having that safety net. And without that safety net, People needed to turn to the one place they had resources and tap those retirement savings, which we know is not optimal for improving long-term outcomes. For sure. So, Rachel, is there anything that people can do to feel better about the financial decisions they need to make today to prepare them for the future so they can continue to stay on track for a really great retirement? Yes. And I love that question because I think it's one of the really bright spots that we have uncovered throughout our experience and our research. And that's that we consistently see people's confidence increase as soon as they engage in having a financial plan. And we know that no one's financial situation improved radically overnight. But having an actionable plan can have that kind of impact on how people feel about money and their confidence levels. Rachel, are there resources available that might help people who want to stay on track? And where can people find those resources? There's really no shortage of solutions. There's a lot of new technologies that are coming out, heading straight to the consumer. Employers are offering lots of programs. And then there are also financial professionals who are really happy to sit down with folks and put together a personalized plan. For most, advice or help or services available through one's retirement plan at work are probably sufficient. What's great about the retirement plan is the services are available for everyone. It's a great equalizer. And it doesn't matter what your level of income is or your wealth. Everybody gets a standard or an equal level of assistance. For others, that may not fit the bill. Um, They may want to work with a financial professional. But in the end, it's really about preference. How much effort do you want to make? What's your level of commitment? What's your level of involvement? Those should be the deciding factors as to which forum, if you will, is best or right for you. 
So important. Well said. This has been a terrific conversation, and I uh, feel like we've covered a lot of ground. It might be helpful for the listeners to have just a quick summary of key takeaways they can go away from this episode with. So I'll start with you, Josh. That may be the hardest question you've asked all day is, <laughs> is a quick summary. I don't, I don't know if I have it in me. So what, I, what I'll leave you with is if we just like sort of strip away the jargon and high-minded words, financial wellness is essentially about our own behavior with money and how that relates to our personal finances. Financial wellness or being financially well doesn't end at retirement. Transitioning from saving to spending is part of the spectrum of life stages. Sure, your needs may change, but the fundamental elements of managing day-to-day household finances, making progress towards financial goals, and how your ability to achieve these things affects your view of future retirement remains the same. And so this isn't point in time. This is a practice for life. That was a great summary. How about you, Rachel? Yeah, I would say really understanding not only that there is a connection between the current and the future, but the degree of that impact. Recognizing how much better you're going to feel if you put together a realistic plan so you know how you're going to get from point A to point B. And then looking for solutions that put the savings on autopilot. We know what a dramatic difference that can make to your successful outcome. It's really, really great. It's hard to believe it, but our time is actually just about up. But before we go, I I wanted to ask each of you just to give our listeners a suggested next step, parting thought that you'd want to leave them with. And Josh, I'll start with you. I would just suggest that you keep it simple. What's the next thing that you can do that will make an impact on your financial well-being? Is it saving a little bit more for retirement? Is it putting some money away for a rainy day? Whatever that action is, make it simple and make it easy to do. I think the most important thing is just to get started and make it feel like it's manageable and no step is too small. Well said. So thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a terrific conversation. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Great to have you guys here. Again, I'm Michael Davis. I want to thank you all for listening. Please tune in for our next episode where we'll discuss retirement income. If you like confident conversations on retirement, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, be well, and I wish you all many confident tomorrows to come. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price, invest with confidence, retire with confidence, the Bighorn Sheep design, and confident conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated, distributor, T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated, investment advisor.